The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. Tomorrow is going to be a very interesting day. It's going to be uh, the first time since I was 16. I'm 33 now. First time since I was 16 that I don't have a job to go to. And through somewhat unfortunate and unexpected circumstances, I wasn't expecting that. But that's the, the path that we're on right now. And we are hopeful and thankful that, that the Lord has blessed us far. And I have confidence that he will in the, the future as well. But it's become evident that this was a much-needed spiritual reset for me. You know, it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes a little bit more dramatic circumstances for the Lord to kind of get your attention. And uh, it became pretty evident that I was much too distracted and much too much on, on autopilot. We can get in the routine of discipleship, and I can get in the routine of preaching and the routine of studying for sermons and the routine of, you know, I know I need to pray. And I, and I pray every day. I make sure I pray every day. But it can become a circumstance where I know I'm supposed to read my Bible every day, so I'll make sure I read my Bible, right? Check that, that box. And um, it can easily become that way in our prayer life as well. And I had not been as focused as I needed to be. And, and the Lord has a, has a very unique way of realigning your priorities sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, he knows how to get all of our attention. You know, sometimes we can go to church and pray for the Lord to bless and pray for the Spirit to move. And, and the Lord delivers us a, a spirited exhortation and it sinks into our heart. And we say, all right, absolutely, i got to change that. But sometimes we need a little bit more of a shakeup. Sometimes we little, need a little bit more of a wake-up call. So I am thankful that this has been a little bit of a reset button, or at least it, my, my intention is for it to be a reset button, uh, because my prayers need to be more fervent. My, my studies need to be more diligent, and, and I know that I need to, uh, to get back to the basics, get back to the basics and do the basics better. And also in the middle of that, I, I heard some very great messages, uh, particularly Paul Blair at the Tom Bigby Association. Some of you were there to, to hear that about your worth in Christ. And he went through the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, uh, looking at the value that we place on ourselves. It's not how other people view us, but our value and what we're truly worth is, is our value in the sight and in the eyes of God, Right? And, and that message going through Ephesians chapter 1, getting back to the basics. Um, we need to be reminded of God's love toward us. We need to be reminded that we're saved by grace. We need to be reminded that we're chosen, right? I thought that was one of the great points that Brother Paul brought out. was like if you are feeling... Um, down in any way, if you're feeling like you don't have any, any value or any worth, think about the fact that the sovereign God of this universe chose to love you. <laughs> and if you meditate on that, you, and you really 
get it, you really can't stay down too long, right? If you understand that God loved you in that way. So we need to be reminded of that, right? We need to be reminded of how much God loves us, that he chose us and that he came into the world and died for us. And I also heard a great message from Brother Isaac Guest about the focus of the cross and how the cross should lead us to greater discipleship. And see, that's the whole part. That's why we need to be reminded of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ is because every bit of exhortation to practical godliness is based on the fact that we've been saved by grace alone, right? It's based solely that we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve any of God's grace. But because he's given us so much, that is the reason why he tells us why it's because Christ went and died on the cross. It's why he calls you to then take up your cross, right? Most of the exhortations in the New Testament is, is calling on you to do something in service to God because, right? Because of what God has done for you. So along with uh, a little bit of a personal discipleship reset, it also, uh, along with my meditations and thoughts and some of those messages, uh, I hope to have a little bit better mindset in my preaching going forward to have more of an emphasis and a focus on the cross of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace alone. Because I've been uh, spending a good bit of time on what is the church, what do we need to be doing as the church, right? The kingdom of heaven, what does the kingdom of heaven look like? And I believe those are very beneficial and needful lessons that we need to understand. But to understand the kingdom of heaven, we first of all have to understand the whole reason why that's important of what we do in the church in the kingdom of heaven is because of the eternal heaven that we've been given solely by the death and, and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? The only reason why the kingdom of heaven and the church matters is because we've been saved by grace, right? Because we've been chosen. None of that matters if you don't start at the cross, if you don't start uh, at election and predestination and salvation by grace alone, okay? And all of those exhortations, again, stem from what Christ has done for us. And that's why the focus of our preaching has to begin, the focus of the church has to begin with Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then once you lay that foundation, that's when you get to the therefore, right? Therefore, walk worthy of the vocation, okay? So I want to focus on that for at least this morning, uh, we will eventually get back to the kingdom of heaven again. I believe that those are very needful lessons for us uh, if the Spirit continues to direct in that way. But I believe we all need to have a more focused view of the cross of Jesus and Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul uh, minister to the church at Corinth, and it's specifically highlighted when he gets there in Acts chapter 18. He meets Aquila and Priscilla, who were tent makers, and Corinth uh, was a very prosperous city, and he goes out of his way to make tents there to provide for himself instead of being chargeable to the church to prove 
his commitment and to prove his authenticity to the church. Now, he goes on a little bit later in 1 Corinthians to say, listen, uh, the, the workman is worthy of his hire. I mean, the, the Bible clearly supports the, the support of the ministry, and if there's enough finances and enough ability there, the full-time support of the ministry. And he actually apologized to Corinth for not giving them that opportunity to do that because he chose to work to prove himself to them, okay? And he wanted to prove himself to these people that were pagans when he showed up and then by the Spirit of God and the establishment of that church, uh, this church at Corinth was, was began. But he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. So I didn't come trying to make money off you, right? That, that's one of the most uh, uh, prevalent uh, phrases in the New Testament, that a minister is not, not uh, greedy of filthy lucre. There, there's a lot of, of men that give the pretense of religion and the pretense of godliness because it's, it's a good bang for your buck. I mean, it's good filthy lucre if you're interested in that. Uh, but the, the ministers of Jesus Christ in the church should not be um, seeking that filthy lucre, but instead humbly serving and taking what the Lord provides for them. But he said, not only did I not come wanting your money, but I also did not come with impressive speech to try to make you, uh, make you hear what I have to say. And wow, what an amazing speaker. I really want to... Uh, I really want to heed or follow what he has to say. Actually, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, the general opinion of the Apostle Paul, his, his letters were weighty and powerful, but it says generally the general opinion of his speech was that it was rude and contemptible. Okay. You know, it's, a, it's interesting the, the people that the Lord uses. You know, he doesn't typically use a silver-tongued preacher. Why? Because you can get caught up in the oration, right? You can get caught up in the fancy speech. Instead, he uses people like, like Moses and kind of like me that says, hey, I got a slow tongue. Uh, I, I'm not going to be very good at that. That's who the Lord uses, okay? He even uses the pe people like the Apostle Paul who was rude in speech and contemptible. But he said, look, the reason why when I showed up, I didn't want there to be any distraction, you know? I didn't want there to be any distraction uh, of you thinking I'm here for money. I don't, want the, I don't want there to be any distraction in you being impressed by what I have to say because I want all the distractions to be removed so that the focus is on Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said in verse 2, I am determined. This was my goal when I showed up in Corinth. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, when he says that, Jesus Christ and him crucified, the implication there is not just that he was crucified. It was that he was buried and rose again, right? Uh, if he was just crucified, then he's not any different than any other man that has suffered capital punishment. Let's go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians 15, where he gives, I guess, the rest of the gospel, so to say, the rest of the story. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. Verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's Jesus Christ and Him crucified, right? But 
praise God, the, the difference between Christianity and every other false religion is that the story doesn't end there, right? It, it, the, the story doesn't end that Jesus was crucified. That's just the beginning of the story, praise God, right? It, uh, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that's the reason we have a hope of heaven, right? That, that's the evidence that, that Christ's sacrifice of payment of, of our justification was accepted by God because he came up out of the grave. And because he was resurrected, then we have a hope of the resurrection as well. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Now, again, Galatians, similar to the epistle to Corinthians. Galatians, they uh, were not, having, not only having problems, but they were being tempted to go back into these, this, this hybrid Christianity of works plus grace, which is, not, which is not grace, right? We, we know the scriptures make it very clear if one work is involved, then it's not grace anymore. It's 100% works, right? And the church at Corinth, they had a lot of problems, and he was trying to straighten them out uh, with all the problems they had. But he said, you remember when I showed up, church at Corinth? Remember when I first showed up? I, I talked to you about Jesus Christ and the gospel of him crucified, buried and resurrected because that's the whole reason that we have a gospel right that's the whole reason we have a church is because of what christ did on our behalf so now the galatians are being tempted to say well unless you can be circumcised you can't go to heaven right unless you obey the law unless you do some of these holy days unless you obey observe some of these sabbath days if you don't follow our hybrid uh, hodgepodge of Christianity and Judaism, and you're not doing something. You know, you know, isn't it interesting that even back in the first uh, people, people have always been people, right? There's no new thing under the sun. Isn't it surprising that people in the new, in the New Testament are the same as people today? That it's just they can't grasp that grace really is free, <laughs> right? It's like you. You're telling me that God just gave me eternal life by nothing more than his free and sovereign grace, and I can't do anything to add to it. I can't do it. Now, there's a lot that you should do because of it, right? But I can't do anything to add to or take away from it. I can't reconcile the fact that I don't have any control over this, so I've, I know I've got to do something, right? <laughs> Those Jews felt the same way. I know I've got to do something. Maybe it's circumcision. Maybe it's circumcision. I know I have to do something. Maybe it's the law. I know I have to do something. Maybe it's holy days. They couldn't wrap their head around the fact that grace really is free. <laughs> Aren't you glad grace is free? Amen? And that's why you really need to understand grace is free because guess what? We're called to show grace freely, right? We talked a lot about forgiveness when we talked about the kingdom of heaven, why do, why do we forgive freely? Because we have been forgiven freely, right? Those are the things you have to understand when you're trying to live a life of discipleship. So these Galatians, these Galatians are being tempted to say Jesus and his death is not sufficient, right? And I don't, I don't want to preach the whole epistle, certainly. But he's saying here, look, let's back up to chapter 5 first. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. And don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. If you think that you have to be circumcised, that that is the work that is necessary. I mean, we, we have this, uh, this fictitious idea in Christianity, uh, and I don't know how many people honestly believe it, but, but, it's, but it's out there, about people literally coming up to the, the gate of heaven and then St. Peter, right, asked you questions. I don't know how many people really believe it like that, but... It seems like <laughs> that, again, these first century, there's no new thing under the sun. These first century Jews essentially thought that when you showed up to heaven, when you showed up to the gate of heaven, the only question you were going to get asked was, are you circumcised? Are you uncircumcised? If you're circumcised, well, come here to the right hand. Come into heaven. We're happy to have you. Oh, I'm so thankful you were circumcised. Oh, you're uncircumcised? Oh, please be escorted over here to the left hand with the goats. I mean, they, they felt like you're going to show up to heaven and the only question that's going to matter is, are you circumcised or uncircumcised? Now, if you think that, <laughs> churches in Galatia, if you think that, you're, that that is the question that, that you have to answer yes to when you get to heaven, to be allowed into heaven, then your confidence is not in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is it? No, you think you're saved by circumcision. Which, by the way, circumcision was the big deal in the New Testament. It's belief today. It's acceptance today. It's the sinner's prayer. It's just works. It's repackaged works. Satan doesn't have any really new tricks. Okay? We've spent a lot of time on the radio on spiritual warfare. Satan has an has a old, outdated playbook. But it works. Outdated is probably not the right word because it works. <laughs> it works. And if Satan can convince somebody that they have to do something to go to heaven, it says in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 4, neither give place to the devil, don't give him any foothold. If he can convince a child of God that they have to do something to go to heaven, boy, he's done latched hold of your foot. Okay? So, Paul says here to these Galatians, I, Paul, say unto you, if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, this has no bearing on whether someone was chosen in Christ before the war began, right? It has no bearing on if they're going to be in heaven. But you, I'll tell you what, Galatians, if you think that you're going to go to heaven because of circumcision, you're going to walk around miserable here in this world. Why? Because you're not going to feel that power, the uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise that you have when you first trusted in Christ. Well, if you're not trusting in Christ, if you're trusting in circumcision, right? If you're, if you're trusting in works, if you're trusting in something that you did, you're not going to feel that powerful sealing and confirmation of the Spirit that gives you peace and assurance. So he's not saying that if you, if you think, I mean, there's many people today that think you have to do something to go to heaven. That doesn't mean they're not children of God. It just means that they're not walking around with the powerful assurance and boldness that they should have. For I testify, verse 3, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to do the whole law. All right, now we're talking about grace and works, right? Yeah, you, you can't just cherry pick what you want to do. You can't just say, I'm going to be circumcised, and that's one work that's good enough to go to... 
one work is not good enough, right? You have, you're a debtor to do the whole law. You have to be perfect. And guess what? There's none good, no, not one, right? There's not anybody that meets that bar, right? So therefore, once you understand that we're dead to do the whole law, what's the only hope? When you understand that, that we're sinful in our nature and we're totally depraved and we were dead in trespasses and in sin, we can't do anything without Christ, what is the only answer? We're, we're right back again to free and sovereign grace, right? You know, that's the main purpose. He, he deals with this in, a, in Romans chapter 10. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. God didn't give us the law. I tell you, God gives us things. It, says, uh, it actually says this about the law. Uh, a man, uh, the law is lawful if a man use it lawfully, right? There's not anything wrong with the law. The law was good. But what, a, what does man do? We take the law and we try to fit it to us to try to make it meet our own ends. So what do we do with the law? <laughs> if you think that your obedience to the law is the end of the law for righteousness, then guess what? You're not going to feel that powerful assurance. But faith in Christ, this is the point of Romans chapter 10, faith in Christ leads you and guides you that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. We should look at the Old Testament. I'll tell you, I've been studying, uh, we're, we're doing in our Bible studies um, on first and third Thursday nights, we've been going through Jesus Christ and the law, and I've been studying a lot of points in that. Beautiful, beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ coming out of there. Uh, but I was especially looking at, you could say this about the whole law, uh, but I was especially looking at the offerings. The burnt offering, sin offering, peace offering, meat offering, drink offering, Eve offering, I mean, and I probably missed 20 of them. I mean, they're confusing, okay? I would have hated to be, I'm just going to be honest with you. I would have hated to have been, you want to talk about pressure of the high priest, <laughs> okay? Uh, and I don't, I don't think they had all this stuff written down quite as good as we have it even today, really, all right? But then somebody comes up here and, and they have a problem. Okay, well, what offering is it? Okay, now, what, is this a bullock or is this a goat? And is it male or female? And is it... You start looking at all that. The law is complicated. Mm -hmm. The law is complicated. And the, and the idea that anyone would read the law, <laughs> I mean, you've read, I hope you have, right? I hope you've read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I hope you've read them. And I don't know how anyone today, but especially a Jew back in the day, would look at all that and be like, you know what? I think that I've got all of those bases covered. <laughs> the, purpose of the, the purpose of the law is for you to see this is so complicated, this is so hard, that there is no possible way that I could keep this. <laughs> I mean, that's why God gave it so detailed. I mean, even something as simple as the offering. I mean, you got to make sure you do it exactly right in the exact way. Uh, by the way, in reading that, he gives him this huge, long uh, explanation of all these different offerings. And it just tells you how, how pitiful man is right after that. Right after that. I think it's Leviticus 10 or 11. Right after that is when Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, go in and they offer strange fire before the Lord. And the Lord consumes them. You know, isn't that something? 
that God tells you this is everything that you're supposed to do and you better do it exactly the right way. And what do they do right after he tells them? These two guys said, you know what, I think, I think I'm going to kind of try my own thing. You know, I think I got a little bit better flavor to add to this offering and incense than, than what the Lord said. And, and how, how did the Lord view that? He consumed them with fire. All right? The law is complicated, right? And I don't know how, <laughs> it just tells you how self-deluded these Pharisees were. If you read the law, which by the way, they took the law. You want to talk about making it even bigger. They read the law, and this is what was actually in the text, but then they added on, this is why all these first century Jews were so miserable, by the way. You want to know why everybody got so excited when Jesus Christ came? <laughs> it's because the law, just if you read it as is, is complicated. But then you have these, these religious leaders that added on three or four times of what's in the text that was all their own preferences of everything that you got to do. Okay? I kind of think that some of those people got really excited when they heard the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard all this stuff, but I say unto you. <laughs> you know? That's a lot simpler, isn't it? That's a lot simpler. Oh, and I bet they really loved, <laughs> I bet they really loved when those lawyers were trying to entice Jesus and say, what's the greatest commandment? And like, oh, me, if the hundreds, maybe even thousands of law, which one is the greatest one? It's so complicated to keep all the law. And Jesus said, actually, you just really need to focus on one thing. You need to focus on one thing. And that one thing is loving God with all of your heart, soul and mind and the second is like a, if you love god properly you're gonna love your neighbor right don't you know that that was a it, it describes in in acts chapter 15 where they're dealing with a circumcision issue it says that that they have uh we believe that the, the count the elders met together to have a council to deal with this issue and then the Determination of that council, Acts chapter 15, verse 11, but we believe that these, these Gentiles, everybody else, that they will be saved, are saved by grace, just like we are, and we are not going to put a yoke up on the neck of the disciples, which neither they nor their fathers were able to bear. How many of them Jews you think got happy? when they felt that yoke of that Pharisee law bondage come off their neck, right? I mean, if all you'd ever heard was you have to do all of this and unless you live up to this Phariseeical standard, then God's going to throw you in hell, right? That's a yoke of bondage around their neck. And don't you know that those people got excited when they heard these group of fishermen and this little bitty ragtag group of 120 folks showing up and saying, you are saved solely by Jesus Christ, solely by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing you can do to accept it. You're saved by grace, unmerited favor alone, and you don't obey the law to go to heaven. You obey the law because God has already bought you. An inheritance in heaven, right? 
So now we go back to these Galatians. If you felt the power of that yoke of bondage being lifted off of your neck, why in the world would you voluntarily put it back on? Like, that doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense for you to feel the power of the gospel and, and be walking around in liberty. Uh, I had a chance to listen to uh, Brother Mike Rogers' message while I was gone on that. From Acts chapter 3 about that lame man, and he's walking and leaping and praising. Guess what? You can't do that with a yoke of bondage around about your neck. But then, if you've been walking around and all depressed and sad and your back's hurting and your neck's hurting because you got a yoke, which, by the way, what's a yoke supposed to be on? It's not supposed to be on a human anyway. It's supposed to be on an ox. <laughs> what are you doing walking around with, a, with an ox's yoke around your neck? Guess what? You're a human. You're not supposed to have a yoke around your neck. Hey, that's not yours. Let's put it where it's supposed to go, right? Well, now you've taken it off of you, and now you're leaping, walking and leaping and praising God. And then the idea that someone that, that has felt that power and liberty, you know what, that yoke over there of circumcision, that yoke over there of the law, you know what, I've really enjoyed all this liberty and jumping and leaping around that I've had. You know what, that yoke over there looks really good. Um, maybe I'll put that thing back on my neck. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense. Verse 4. <clears throat> Christ has become of no effect unto you. Now, again, this has no bearing on eternal life, right? But you can be walking around with no power. No power in the gospel. If you're not putting confidence in Jesus Christ, then don't expect him to move as powerfully in your life if you think if and I, I understand please let's be gracious to people from other denominations that don't understand what they say but when when they are asked about their salvation and I understand they don't really understand the implications of this but so many people use this exact phrasing when I got saved right when I pray, that when I place my faith in Christ, when I believed, be gentle, be kind and loving to them because they don't really understand what they're saying. But the sad reality is they're saying that I believe that my works contributed to me going to heaven. And they don't understand that, though. They don't understand it. And if your salvation story is, if it starts with the first person pronoun instead of Christ, then you have a misunderstanding of the gospel, okay? And in that way, he says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Now, if you walk around saying, when I got saved, does that have any bearing on if you pass away that you're going to go to heaven? No, of course not. Does it? Doesn't have, doesn't have any bearing on that. But, you're not going to feel that power of the answer of a good conscience and the, and the peace that we have with God with justification by faith from Romans chapter 5. You're not going to feel that power if you're walking around saying, when I got saved. Okay? Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law. And then he even goes so far to say, as you are fallen from grace. You haven't lost your eternal life. But you know what? Let's just go ahead and go over there to Romans chapter 5. We need to talk about justification by faith for a minute. Okay? Romans chapter 4 is dealing with Abraham as the example of justification by faith. And 
he, against hope, believed in hope. He, he placed his faith in Christ even though he could not see him. He saw him by faith. And he is our example. And then when Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. It was imputed to him, okay? And now the effect of that, um, let's get the last few verses of chapter 4 first. Because that is the, the effect of justification by faith in Abraham's life. But now, that he applies it to us in the New Testament, and he takes it right back to the cross. Okay? He takes it right back to the cross. And now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him, that raised up Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. If we place our faith in Jesus Christ as, our, as the end of the law for righteousness, right? As our only hope of justification, then you are going to feel this effect that we find in chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2. But if you instead put your confidence in circumcision or the law or prayer or belief or works, whatever it is, if you put your uh, your confidence in something other than that, then you are going to lose access to the grace wherein you stand. That's what he says here. What's the powerful effect of justification by faith? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's what happens when, uh, well, you know what? Let's just go ahead and go to Romans chapter 10, all right? Romans chapter 10. There's some people here. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I bear them record. They have a zeal of God. I can see agape love in them. I can see that they want to serve God. The problem is they all they've ever heard, talking about these first century Jews, all they've ever heard is that you have to obey the law, right? All they've ever heard is works. They don't know any different. But he says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Now, he's the end of the law for righteousness, period, right? He's the only hope of righteousness. His imputed righteousness is the only hope that we have of being righteous before God. But the question is not, uh, is Christ's righteousness uh, applied to you in an eternal sense? The question of Romans 10 is that, is it applied to you in your heart when you believe it? I mean, he's the end of the law for righteousness regardless of if you ever believe it or not, right? For a child of God, if you never know about it. These Gentiles that never knew in the Old Testament, they didn't, they, they didn't know the law, right? They didn't know the law. They didn't, they didn't know all the things that were written in the Mosaic law, but instead they had an internal conviction of sin, they, they showed the effect of the law written in their heart, but they didn't know about Jehovah God in the sense that he's the I am that I am. They didn't, they didn't have all these scriptures that tell. They, they knew God in the sense of the internal Abba Father knowledge of the new birth, but they didn't know about Jehovah God. They didn't know about how he worked in the lives of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all that. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. But in the context of Romans 10, for these Jews that are not trusting in Christ as 
their only hope of salvation. He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Okay? Now, when you believe, when you trust in Jesus, and what's so great about this is most of the denominational world would say these are people that they have a zeal of God, which, by the way, the only way you can have a zeal of God, where's that zeal? You know, look, look at just the phrasing there. A zeal of God. Where'd that zeal come from? Of God, right? I mean, that's pretty simple, right? These are not people that are on the brink of heaven, and if they don't believe and they have this supposed, you know, back in these days, wagon crash or a horse crash or something, you know, <laughs> and you die, you're going to go to hell. No, no. Why? Because I love the wording here. These are people that need the gospel, but notice they already have the word of faith in their heart. Okay? Let's keep reading. Uh, verse, verse 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? What is the testimony of the child of God's born again regenerated heart? What's, the, what's your heart telling you? What's that law that's written in your heart telling you? What saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, okay? So what this is saying is that there is a testimony in the heart of the child of God that is testifying that Christ is the only hope of salvation and he's the only end of the law. So these are people that, then that's why they have such a conflict, which by the way, that's why when you believe and you're baptized, now all of a sudden you have the answer of a good conscience, right? Because before, if the word of faith in your heart is testifying to you that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, but instead you're publicly confessing that no, I had to be circumcised in a first century New Testament context, right? Your heart's telling you salvation by grace alone, by Jesus alone, but your words are professing, no, I had to be circumcised, then you're not, you don't have the answer of a good conscience. Okay? Now think about what happened on the day of Pentecost when that Holy Spirit came down and those Jews that had that heart confusion, right? They were pricked in the heart. They, 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 they felt a conviction and they said, men and brethren, what shall we? We know we need to do something. Well, what do we need to do? We need to repent and be baptized. And then we find from 1 Peter 3 that that is when, not the filth of the flesh is put away, that's when we feel the answer of a good conscience toward God. But there is something inside the child of God already, the word of faith that is testifying that Christ is the only hope. It has to be only him. But why? Because I know I can't obey the law good enough. I can't live good enough. Uh, I'm not going to go back to Romans chapter 7 because we're skipping around too much in there. But you've read Romans chapter 7 about that conflict and that warfare, right? Well, if you don't have a hope, you know, what's the end? Of, what happens there in Romans chapter 7 is they are trying to put confidence 
in what they do as their hope of heaven. And, and you don't know where they arrive at? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? If it's up to me, I've got no hope. <laughs> and you know what? If we're following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that should be our conclusion every time. That's the point, by the way, uh, that those men that were pricked by the Spirit there in Acts chapter 2, that's essentially where they got to when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? In their spirit, they got to the point where they said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And aren't you glad that there on the day of Pentecost there was a preacher that said to them what we find in Romans chapter 7, but I thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? You see, that's the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to break you down. <laughs> the purpose of the law is to affirm total depravity. To break you down to say, oh, wretched man that I am, my only hope has to be in a power that's higher and stronger than me, right? It has to be in God. It has to be in Jesus Christ. So if you are putting confidence in something other than Jesus Christ, you're going to feel a conviction, a pricking. But then when you confess it, okay, Romans chapter, nine, verse, <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You're going to feel that power of justification by faith. Okay? Okay. Um, let's go to, let's go back to Galatians. Okay? Back to Galatians. And <clears throat> these people here are being enticed to put that yoke of bondage back around their neck. And he tells them there in chapter 5 and verse 1, why are you going to do that? Why are you going to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage? Okay. And then he kind of summarizes his premise of the book of Galatians in Galatians chapter 6 <clears throat> and in verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory. Now, what are they glorying in? You know, remember, um, this is in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, Paul was speaking, as he says in some other places, I speak as a fool. He's speaking as a foolish Jew. And he says, there was, time, there was times past where all I put confidence in was my stock, was my lineage, was my works. You know, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, Pharisee of the Pharisees, Hebrew of the Hebrews, uh, persecuting the church. Look at everything I'm doing for the synagogue and for the kingdom. I'm, I'm persecuting these, the sect of Christians, right? Well, that's exactly how the Pharisees talked, wasn't it? Remember, remember how the Pharisee prayed at the temple in comparison to the publican, right? This is everything that I do. I give tithes of all that I possess. I fast three times during the I do. I, 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 okay? Well, if your confidence in eternal life begins with an I, then you're not glorying solely in the cross of Jesus Christ, Right? So the problem with these Galatians is that they were 
they were starting their salvation testimony with, I got circumcised. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I, 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 I. So that's what they glory, that's what they were beginning to glory in. Okay? But then Paul says, This is this this is my perspective, and this should be your perspective. But God forbid that I should glory. What's what's my only source of confidence? What's my only source of glory here in this world? But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now this is the sanctifying effect that the cross has on you by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Because my Savior came into this world and lived a perfect life and men killed him for it, it is evident that this world is not where I fit in, right? If he lived a perfect life and men hated him so much they wanted to kill him for it, then obviously... There's a broad uh, distinction between me and the world, right? And I'm crucified to the world by Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, for in Jesus Christ, and just in case any of you didn't understand exactly what I mean, he's clarifying it, right? All you people that are all concerned about circumcision. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. What's the only determining factor? But a new creature that you've been born again by the Spirit of God. Okay, And if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, if you've been made a new creature, now this is how you ought to act. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. You remember in uh, Romans chapter 2 where he says, look, circumcision is not of the flesh and of the letter. No, it's circumcision is of the heart. Right? It's, it's about inward Jews, not outward Jews. Okay? So the, the primary focus that we have in the church has to be on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? And I didn't make it to Ephesians at all today. Okay? Um, but as quickly as I can, I want to highlight a few things that depending on how the Lord directs, that I think we need to emphasize in the weeks to come. In Ephesians chapter 1, we know these verses very well, but I have not spent enough time with you on this. We know that in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, we're chosen, we've been elected, we've been predestinated. In verse 7, we've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Um, verses 13 and 14 speak of that sealing of the Holy Spirit that we talked about earlier. When we believe in Jesus Christ, skipping to chapter 2, that we've been quickened and dead in trespasses and in sin. And then when we were in that wretched, deplorable state, verse 4 of Ephesians 2, but God who is rich in mercy and for his great love wherewith he loved us. Verse 8, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then the Third chapter ends with a extolling of the love of God that we that we can't comprehend, but the prayer for the preacher, the prayer for the pastor is always for you to have a better understanding of it. But that's why I love the book of Ephesians as being so perfectly balanced 
is because literally you have three chapters of telling you this is what Christ has done for you, and then the next three chapters is, therefore, this is how you ought to walk. Verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. This is what Christ has done for you, therefore, this is how you should live. And, I, and I look at all of these examples of this. Um, he talks about chapter 4, verse 25. Put away lying, but speak truth. Okay, he's saying put away the bad things and do the good things. Well, the reason why we're doing the good things is because that's what, that's what Christ did. Okay, let him that, verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Don't steal, but work hard. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Okay? And then chapter, uh, verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Why? Why should I forgive someone? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven. The, the focus is always on Jesus Christ in every one of these. Right? Okay? Let's keep going and highlighting a few of these. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Be not drunk with wine whereas in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. To put it another way, just be filled with Jesus, right? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We, we don't sing so other people can hear our voice and say, oh, wow, they nailed that pitch. We're singing to the Lord, you see? Submitting yourselves one to another. Well, I don't want to submit to my brother and sister in Christ. I don't want to submit to my husband. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Okay? Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. <laughs> He's not worthy of my submission. As unto the Lord. Okay? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Love as Christ. Okay, now we go, you have husbands and wives. Now we have children and parents and servants and masters. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. Well, my parents are dumb. They're wrong all the time. They tell me things that, um, that I don't want to do. They don't make any sense. Well, give it about 20 years, it'll make a lot more sense. Okay? Children, obey your parents. Why? In the Lord. Oh, and by the way, for this is right. <laughs> it's the right thing to do, okay? You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, verse five, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Well, I have a very, um, we don't have indentured servitude now, but uh, I, I, I have a very disrespectful boss. Well, you may do that, and there's there's, Avenues to take. There's human resources. You can seek another job. There's avenues to take, okay? But servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Well, that, that kind of changes your dynamic with your supervisor, doesn't it? Right? Would I, would I talk to Jesus that way? Hmm. Kind of makes you think a little bit. Verse 9. Okay, now masters, ye masters do the same things unto them. You be respectful to them too. Forbearing, threatening, now you need to act right too. Those that are in a 
supervisory role. For what purpose? Knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there any respect of persons with him. You see, all these things, the focus is on this is what God has done for you. Therefore, you should live out that gospel in your daily actions. You see? And that's why we have to start at the cross. That's why we have to start at what God has done for us and never to get it backward. Okay? And then we'll look at this in further detail in the weeks to come, Lord willing. But I like how he summarizes this, this whole epistle in the last verse of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. I, I'm glad that we have uh, grace in eternity, right? I sure am glad that we're saved to heaven by nothing more than the blood of Jesus and the unmerited favor of God. But we need grace upon grace, right? We need more grace on a daily basis. And, and that that's... Uh, I like how <laughs> I like how the two sections of uh, of Ephesians are closed. The first section is closed by him as a pastor saying, I, "My prayer to God is that you would have a greater understanding of the love of God." Right. That's how he closes the first section, and then he closes the whole epistle in the second section by saying, "My prayer to you is that God gives you grace every single day because you're going to need it." <laughs> You're going to need it in children's being, children being obedient to parents. You're going to need it in uh, parents raising their children in the nurture and admonition. You're going to need it in the husband and wife relationship. You're going to need it in every area of life, you see. And Paul's prayer to the church is that, <laughs> Lord, please bless these sincere saints all that love the Lord in sincerity. Please bless these sincere saints. Lord, give them unmerited favor and grace every day. And that's what we need, isn't it? <laughs> grace sufficient. Grace sufficient for what we stand in need of every day. And I'm sure you probably have some of the same struggles that I have in carrying out some of those verses, right? Well, if you do, if you do struggle with that, what is your example to look to to exhort you to greater love and charity and, and humility in submitting to one another or serving one another, et cetera, et cetera. What's your example? It's the cross, right? It's what Christ has done for us. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that can be our testimony every single day, certainly the testimony of Macedonia Permanent Baptist Church. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.